This morning, we uh, ultimately are going to be in 1 John. We're just not going to be there for a little bit. This morning, um, I had a hard time putting together what I wanted to share today. And so um, I, I kept going back, trying to go farther back in the Scripture so that I could, so I could really figure out um, where it started, where this story started that I need to tell this morning or that I'd like to tell this morning. And, and I just kept pushing it back and pushing it back and pushing it back. We started in 1 John, which you'll know is almost at the end of your Bible. And, and really, the story begins um, with, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's really where, where this story starts. But I don't want to jump all the way back to the very first verse. So we're going we're gonna to start in the second book, in Exodus um, chapter 3, is where we're going to start. But I will give you just a a little bit of the story. I think most of you probably know the story from the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God made a promise to a man named Abram that he was going to send a redeemer to fix this problem that we have, to fix this sin problem that Adam and Eve brought into the world that each of us inherited from them. And that God was going to send a Messiah. God was going to send a Savior in through his family. And so the book of Genesis tells us that story of the promise going from Abraham and being passed down through his people. It tells us the story then of, of Jacob and his family and how there was a, a, a son named Joseph who was not liked by his brothers and he was um, sold as a slave into Egypt. And he, while he was in Egypt, he became a, a very powerful man in Egypt and helped, in fact, um, store up grain and food for a famine that was happening so that in the end Jacob's family um, is brought then to Egypt to where Joseph is and Joseph says all of this that you meant for harm God used for good and the and God's chosen people through Joseph lived there in Egypt for a number of years and Joseph um, was was a was a mighty leader. He was a good ruler. He was not the ruler of Egypt, but he was was second in command, and and people respected him. And you know the story as you read through through Genesis and get to to the end of Genesis. The God's chosen people, Joseph, Jacob's family, they continue to grow and they continue to get larger and larger and larger. And we come then to the book of Exodus, the end of Genesis, the beginning of Exodus, the first the second book of the Bible there. And we get to that point, and now we come to the point where the, the Israelites, God's chosen people, Jacob's family, the family that started with Abram, that they are, are very, very large. And the people have forgotten Joseph, especially the Egyptian people have forgotten Joseph and what he did, and a number of years have passed. And now the Israelite people are slaves. They still live in Egypt, but now they're slaves to the Egyptians. And that's where we come to, to in Exodus, uh, really in chapter 2, we hear the, the God's chosen people, the family that he promised the Messiah to in Genesis chapter 15. We come to Exodus now, chapter 2, and we read this in verse 23. During the many days the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery, and they cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. That's where we start the story today. God heard their groaning, and God knew. 
Before, before that, in the first part of, of Exodus, we really see the story of a man by the name of Moses, of a, a baby by the name of Moses, who is put into a, a, a floating baby carriage, baby basket, and floated down the river and is raised, um, even as an Israelite, is raised as, as an Egyptian in the palace. You know that story. You can, can read it if you'd like. Moses is really where we start our story today. And Moses um, grew up, as I said, in the Pharaoh's palace and, and comes to the point, he's 40 years old, he comes to the point where he understands that, that he is part of the Israelite family, he understands that, but, but still has this, he's torn between the Egyptian family that he was raised in and the Israelite family and, and comes, he comes to the point where, where he sees an Egyptian um, beating an Israelite and kills the Egyptian. You know that story. And he runs away. Moses runs away. He runs as far as he can to get away and lives there for 40 years. He gets a job. He begins to tend sheep. He gets a wife. He has children. He has a whole nother life. As far away from that story that started in Genesis 1 that went to Abram, that went to that went to Isaac, that went to Jacob, that went through Joseph. He's as far away from that story as he possibly can be. He's all on his own. In fact, if you read through Exodus there, you see as he names his children, he realizes that I am forgotten and I am separated from God. That's where we find Moses in Exodus chapter 3. In Exodus chapter 3, then, we read this, starting in verse 1. Now Moses keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw him and he turned aside to see, God called him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said to him, Here I am. Then he said, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place that you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you, and this shall be a sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of, our, of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. We find Moses right here tending his sheep as far away from God as he thinks is possible. He's separated. He's, he's all on his own. He's out tending his sheep. And, and as you, we just read the story, he sees a bush 
It's on fire. And he's drawn to that bush and he comes there and God calls him by name from the bush. Moses. Moses. And he reminds him of who he is. I am the Lord your God, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, of Jacob. You think you're separated from me, Moses. You think that you're out here all alone on this hill, all by yourself. But I am your God. I've called you by name and I am here, God says. And he begins the process of calling and drawing Moses back to himself. And so Moses, now 80, begins this dialogue with God. He comes, he hides his face, he takes off his shoes. He immediately senses and knows that he's in the presence of the most holy God. And then God says this to him. I've surely seen the affliction of my people. I've heard their cry. I know their sufferings. I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good land. I'm sure as Moses is there, he's, he's remembering back when he was there and the Egyptians were enslaving the, the Israelites. And he remembers that. And God begins to say to him, here's what's, here's what's happened. They're being enslaved. They're being brutally punished. They're, they're going through massive hardships. They're having a hard time. And God says to Moses, I've seen their affliction. I've seen the suffering that they're having. I understand and I'm going to fix it. And Moses there at that bush that day, I'm sure as he has this experience, his mind is being blown and he hears God say these things and he is thinking, sweet, here it comes. God is going to rescue his people. And Moses is getting excited about it. Moses knows that God is huge, that God is large, that God is right there, and that God is going to rescue his people. And Moses, Moses is drawn to that. He sees the big God. He knows that there is a God who sees the affliction of his people, and he is excited. And so he hears these things, that I've seen them, I'm coming, I know their sufferings, I'm going to deliver them out. All of these people live in the land, but we'll take care of them. I heard the cry of the Israelite people. It's come to me and I have seen the oppression that the Egyptians have put on them. Moses hears all that. But then, but then Moses hears this in verse 10. Come, God says, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. I'm sure at this point, Moses is already, yeah, that sounds great, God. They are being oppressed. They are enslaved. We need to rescue them. Yeah, go do it. And then Moses hears this. And now I'm going to send you, God says. I've heard it. I know. I know their sufferings. And I want it to be fixed. And I'm going to use I'm sure Moses went from the highest of heights to the lowest of low. How can that be possible? Don't send me. In fact, as we read it, he he immediately starts throwing excuses out. He immediately starts saying, whoa, 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 whoa. You don't want to send me. I'm not going to have the right words to speak. In fact, later he says, "I, I, I, you want to send my brother. He's the one that knows how to talk. You don't want to send me. Moses right away begins to balk at the plan that God has for him. And then God 
says this. Moses says, who am I that I should go? And in verse 12, God says, I will be with you. I will be with you. God says, here's the deal. I've seen them. I'm sending you. Moses says, how am I going to go? It's impossible for me to do it. And God says, here's how you're going to do it. I will be with you. I will be with you. It's an affirmation that is not just for Moses, I don't think. It's an affirmation that's for all of us. God will be with us. Even when he calls us to hard tasks, even when he gives us things that we do not understand and we cannot comprehend. When huge afflictions that we think are overwhelming, God says, I will be with you. I will be with you. Moses, though, is just like us. He says, that's fine, God. I'm grateful that you've said I will, that you will be with me. But if I come to them and I say to them, the God of our fathers has sent me to you, and they say, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God, Moses has all kinds of questions for God. He has all kinds of excuses on why he can't go. In fact, Moses, as, as you continue to read the story, we're not going to read all the way from Exodus to 1 John today, but if, as, as you continue to read that story, you'll see that Moses has all kinds of excuses now, then he does end up going, and he has all kinds of excuses throughout the rest of his story. Several times he comes to God and he balks up what God calls him to do. Several times Moses, um, in fact, doesn't do what God calls him to do and does the opposite of what God calls him to do and pays the penalty for that. Moses has all kinds of excuses, even when God says, I will be with you. Moses comes back right away with, all right, so I'm going to go, I'm going to see those Israelite people and they're going to say, who told you to come here? What's his name? Moses says, what should I say to them when they ask me for a name? Now Moses just isn't trying to get confirmation here. Moses is, Moses is asking, Moses is asking God, what, what's your name? What's, what's your first name? I want to know who you are and who's sending me on this journey. I want to know who will be with me. You say you will be with me. I want to know, who are you? And I think all of us know the name of God, especially in the Old Testament, was a, was a revered name, a very reverent thing. In fact, in fact, the people of the Old Testament would not even say the name of God. They would, they would sometimes write it. And then when they would write it, they would write an abbreviation of it so that they wouldn't have to write the actual name that they had. It was, it was holy. It was revered. And so when Moses comes, he says, I know that you are holy. I know that you have a revered name, but I want, I want to know. What is your name? And that's where we come to the verse you saw on the screen earlier this morning. What is his name? What shall I say to them, Moses says. And God says to Moses in verse 14 of Exodus chapter 3, I am whom I am. 
And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. I am who I am. This phrase, this I am who I am, the Hebrew word for that would be, um, I can't speak Hebrew, but the Hebrew word for that would be hayah. It would, it's really the, the verb to be. God says, I am. He says, really, he says, I be. That, that's bad grammar, so we change it to I am. Moses says, who are you? What is your name? And God responds to Moses, and he says, here is my name. I am who I am. I be. How am I going to go? How am I going to do this huge pro- problem that you've called me to? How am, I going to? how am I going to go and how am I going to talk to the Israelites? How am I going to tell them? How, how are we going to accomplish this task, God? Who can I say sent me? God answers all of that in this one phrase. I am. I am. And the direct correlation with that for Moses is this. God says, my name is I Am. And Louis Giglio in a book says that Moses understands at this point his name is, Moses' name is, I Am Not. His name is, God's name is, I Am. Our name is, I Am Not. And it goes across the board. Moses says, how am I going to do this? Who's going to send me? God says, I am. I am able to do it. I am over all things. There is nothing outside of my control. I am the center of the universe. I am all-powerful. I am in control of everything. I can do what I want to do, and I can do what pleases me, and I will do it. I am. And Moses is, I am not. I am not able to do it. I am not in control. I cannot do this in my own power and with my own strength. I am not. And really, and really, the promise of that is true for all of us. There are all kinds of times in our life where we come to those situations and we come out and we cry out before God and we say, God, we, we want help with this. I want your name. I want to know, what are you going to do for me, and how are you going to do it? And the response for us is the same. I am. I am. I'm able to do it. I will do it. I am the center of all things. As I mentioned, this... This has been helped for me in a book by Louis Giglio called I Am Not. And one of the things that that he shares in this book, which was helpful for me, and which I think will help us as we come to the table this morning, is this idea that God's name, I Am, is really translated into to be or, or be. God is. And 
one of the things that he shares in that book is how, how helpful that was then as he began to read through the New Testament. As he began to read through the New Testament and, and thinking of God being the great I am or the one who is or be, and he began to read different passages of Scripture and how God enlightened him to that, such as, turn in your Bibles, if you would, to John chapter 1. We're almost there where we just went through the whole Old Testament and we're jumping into the New so we're getting closer to First John. In John chapter 1, we read this. It's page 886 if you're using a pew Bible there. It's a verse we all know probably. John chapter 1 and verse 14. It says this, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. What Louis says in this book is that as he began to understand the word be, meaning God, devotionally as he began to read through these verses, in fact, as he began to read through this verse in John chapter 1, verse 14, he reads this, and the word became became. And as he begins to process that, and, 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 and what's been helpful for me is to even break that word up and to say, and, and, and the word, it says in John 1.14, be God, I am, came. He became flesh and he dwelt among us. God came, be, came. In fact, later on in John chapter 1, John the Baptist is there. He's at the riverside. He's been doing baptisms. People say, who are you? Are you the Messiah? He says, no, I'm not the Messiah. And in fact, Jesus then comes in John chapter 1 to the edge of the river. And John the Baptist cries out, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Behold. That's, that is... That's the incarnation. That God, I am, be, came to earth in flesh. So that we could hold and that he could hold all things together. And comes to the cross. And comes to the cross. And makes a way for us to become children of God. That brings us to 1 John. This is the passage where I was reading and saw this same thought here. In 1 John chapter 3. He says this, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. It did not know Christ. It did not know I am in flesh. And then it says in verse 2, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. Beloved. 
beloved. That God be loved us and came for us so that we might be adopted, so that we might be chosen and brought in to the family, so that we might become children of God. This is both a statement for us, be loved, be loved us, that God loved us, but it's also a command that we are to be loved, that God does love us and that we are to be loved. He loves us. He came in a burning bush to a man who thought that he was as far away from God as possible. He came in a manger in Bethlehem when there wasn't any room for him to be in the inn. He came to a world where sin had made us enemies of God, objects of wrath. And he came to take away the sins of the world. He came to make us God's holy children, dearly loved. He came, he came to bring us into his family. He came to take away our sin and make us right before him through the finished work of Christ. That's what we celebrate here at the table this morning. And we're going to share in communion together this morning. You have in your bulletin an invitation that looks like this. We serve open communion here at Richland. We will uh, serve you. You will be in your pew there. We will pass the elements to you. And we serve open communion. If you can live by this communion invitation that's printed in the bulletin there, we want you to join us together today. If you don't feel comfortable with that, if you read through this invitation and that uh, is not comfortable for you or you have some questions, or uh, please feel free to not take communion with us this morning. We don't want you to feel any pressure one way or the other. But what we do here at the table this morning is exactly what we've talked about. This is the representation of Christ who came of the I am who met Moses in the bush who said, I will be with you. That I am God. I'm everything that you need. I'm everything that you need to go into Egypt and to rescue my people. I'm everything that you need. That same God became flesh. That be came so that so that we might all be rescued. God will be with us. And so this morning, as we take this bread and we drink this juice, we remember that God came in Christ. And that Christ met perfectly all of the requirements and all of the things that God had set forth. And, God ne- and Christ never sinned. And he made it right for us through his sacrifice to become dearly loved children, to be adopted in, to be loved by God. This morning, I'd like those that are going to help me to serve to come forward.
communion invitation is this. For all who live in rebellion against God and unbelief, this holy food and drink will bring you only further condemnation. If you have not yet cast the full weight of your hope on the finished work of Jesus Christ and now seek to live under his gracious reign, we ask you to abstain. Nevertheless, for those of you who acknowledge your sin and affirmed your faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ, the promise is sure. Whoever eats my body and drinks my blood has eternal life and will not come into condemnation. You are invited to this sacred meal, not because you are worthy in and of yourself, but because you are clothed in Christ's righteousness. Do not allow the weakness of your faith or your failures in the Christian life to keep you from this table. For it's given to us because of our weakness and because of our failures in order to increase our faith by feeding us with the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. As the Word has promised us God's favor, so also our Heavenly Father has added this confirmation of His unchangeable promise. So come, believer, for the table is ready. Taste and see that the Lord is good. shelter in the storm when troubles pour upon me though fears are rising like a flood my soul can rest securely oh Jesus I will hide in you my place of peace and soul no trial is deeper than your love that comforts all my sorrows.
This represents the body of I am who came so that we might be called children of God. Take it and rejoice in that this morning. represents the blood 
of I am who came in flesh and blood. This represents the blood of the one who was in the burning bush with Moses. The fire that led the Israelites by night, the cloud that led them by day. That I am, that God, this blood represents. Take it. Drink this morning, remembering I am. God, this morning, this truth that we have talked about is exceedingly hard to understand and comprehend. And I pray that you will help us. That you will help us both to see how huge that is, that I am the one in control of all things that was there in the beginning who created the heavens and the earth, that you, God, became flesh and bones and blood like us so that for the sole reason of your glory being seen in our adoption into children of the King. Help us, God, to think through that. Help us to see that. Help us to live that. Help us to love that this morning. Go with us as we leave here this morning and refresh our souls. We pray this in your name. In the name of Jesus, I am in flesh. Amen. Thank you this morning.